Hey, I want to thank you for making the choice to come to Northridge this weekend. You could have done a lot of things, been a lot of different places, but you're here. And knowing what's coming in this service, I know when you leave, you won't regret it. Our communicator is a is a lead pastor. He actually started New Life Church down in Arkansas in 2001. And God's used it to impact so many lives that it's grown now to nine churches in eight cities. He's He's actually sought after to train and, and inspire leaders around the world because of how God's used him at New Life. But he said yes to come to Northridge, and I have to tell you, I'm excited because he really fits our environment. Here at Northridge, it's not about pretending to be something different as we follow Christ. It's about being real, who we are as Jesus day by day changes us. Well, well that's, that's this guy. He, he recently released a book, it's called Be Real, because fake is exhausting. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? Well, it's his first time at Northridge, so I hope that you'll give him a great, great welcome. Here's Rick Bazet. All right. God is good. Turn to the person next to you and say, I heard you singing, and it was jacked up big time. Oh, my goodness. Turn to somebody else and say, and you had no rhythm. <laughs> if you love God with all of your heart, soul, and strength, would you give him some praise in the house? Come on. He's amazing. I am a Cajun from Louisiana. I live in Arkansas now. A Cajun is somebody you will not learn anything from them, but you're going to have a good time. And, uh, and we like to eat. Uh, anybody like food that lives in a ditch? That's me. Two of you. All right. Great, great, great. Uh, but I, I got to say, the hand of God is on this church. Uh, I started studying this church a few months ago, and Brad asked for me to come out and speak. And, and I just want you to know that this is, not, this is not common. And this church is growing for a lot of reasons. I think it has to do with the excellence. Uh, all, although this stage set is, you know, you can tell, they just threw this up, not a lot of thought. And, uh, but, but also the integrity. When, when, you go, when you go to a church, if you're visiting, I'm visiting. But I've been behind the scenes and I've been talking to different people in leadership. This place is loaded with integrity. And when you drop off your kids, you look around to see, is it clean and safe? But when you come in here, you want to know, is this a safe place for me to come? And I'm telling you, there's integrity here. There's good leadership here. Uh, your pastor is amazing. Do not take that for granted. Come on, give your pastor a hand if he's listening in. Pastor Brad, Roxanne, God is good. There's another reason why this church is growing. And at the end of my talk, I'm going to tell you the main reason why I think this church is growing. I know we're in a series called Unforgettable. So I just want to tell you that I, that I find that what we forget about is what we should not forget about. Let's talk about unforgettable, but let's also talk about what we're forgetting. We're forgetting a lot of times what the cross is all about and how much God loves us. I get that because I grew up in a church where the people, there were nothing like the people that, who attend here. The pastor they were all judgmental. In fact, they were all mean. They didn't like being there. They didn't want to be there. They didn't like each other. The meanest person in the church I grew up in was the Sunday school teacher, and she hated her class, 
She hated me. Her finger was 30 foot long. And, and the reason I know that is because she would point at me and she would say, hell is hot and you're going to hell. At eight years of age, that's a hard place to file. You don't know what to do with that. And uh, she would say, don't you want to go to heaven? And I would say, not if you're going to be there, no. <laughs> she talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. And, uh, I wanted to ask her, does the devil wear a Prada? You seem to know him really well. But in that, here's, you know, it's kind of funny, but I never thought that God wanted me in. I thought he wanted me out. I never once thought that I could do something for the Lord in my life. And so, when I would make a mistake, I would run away from the call of God, the unforgettable purpose of God. I I never jumped in. I always jumped out because I thought God hated me. I thought he didn't want me around. I, I thought that in order to serve God, you had to get your life where it was perfect, and then you could go and serve God. But I'm going to tell you right now, your life is not perfect. We all have issues. Raise your hand if you have an issue. If you don't think you have an issue, that's your issue. <laughs> we all fall short. There's nobody perfect. If you think you're perfect... And let me just give you a hint. No one likes you. If they're sitting with you now, they can't wait until the service is over. There's no one that is perfect. And, and I'll, I'll prove it to you. How many of you in this building, and I'm, I'm talking about a church, how many of you have lied big time before? Come on, raise your hand. Okay. Even if you're Presbyterian, you want to vote on this one. Some of you did not raise your hand. You're lying right now. And this is a church. God's going to kill you. <laughs> Sunday school teacher still in here. How many of you have ever, you ever stole anything? Come on, even a church ink pen, anything. How, how many procrastinate way too much? <laughs> the real procrastinators, they'll raise their hand later. We've all made mistakes. The Bible says there's not one that is righteous. No, not one. All of our righteousness is filthy as rags. So how can we grow? How can we have a, a walk with God that where things happen that are unforgettable? Can that even happen? I just want to say yes, but it's your move. You're as strong in God as you want to be. It's like in physical shape. I'm not in that good a shape, okay? I'll admit that. But I'm as in good a shape as I want to be. If I wanted to be in better shape, I could do something about it, but I don't like sweating. <laughs> I say, no pain, no pain. <laughs> so, so I don't know what it is that's keep you from moving, but a lot of times it is because of mistakes. And so let me, let me tell you about a mistake my wife made because I, I'm more confident <laughs> talking about her mistakes versus mine. When I, when I moved to Arkansas, we moved there cold turkey. We, we've now had, you know, a lot of people that are our friends there. Since we moved there 14 years ago, I only knew one family. But just because we keep doing what the Lord says to do, uh, we've had over 65,000 decisions for Christ, over 35,000 water baptisms. And I know, let me just stop right there. Let me just tell you, I know I almost didn't do it because I was so scared a lot of times when the Lord is trying to use you in unforgettable things, it's intimidating. So I wanted a church with a good reputation, and I wanted to fight for integrity, and all of those core values were important to me. 
But you can't, you can't tell people what your reputation is. You just live it in the hope that it, it spreads right. Well, my, 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 my son, uh, he was six years old when we first moved there. His name is Tanner. And what we didn't know is when we first went to Arkansas and planted the church, he was going around and telling everybody that he was the pastor's son because he was leveraging that for extra cookies in kids' ministry. And it, I heard it was working great for him. Well, my wife is a lot like Roxanne. She's just not going to put up with that. So she went up to him. She said, Tanner, are you going around telling people you're the pastor's son for extra cookies? He said, yes, ma'am, it is working great. I got 10 last week. She said, that's not how we roll. Your name is Tanner. This is all you do. You just tell people you're Tanner. That's it. He said, yes, ma'am. So remember, I'm trying to have a good reputation. So the next weekend, a lady went up to him and said, aren't you the pastor's son? And he said, well, I thought I was, but my mom said I'm not. (laughs) That's funny right there. I don't care what you say. So we didn't grow much that first year. I love it when I'm growing in my relationship with the Lord, and I can't stand it when I'm not growing. And even as a pastor, there are seasons where I'm not growing at all. But these fundamentals that I want to talk to you about will help you. Because some of you, you're bone dry and empty. It's like when you drive a car. How many of you put gas in your car when it gets to a half a tank? Okay, the, the psychopaths here at the church. Okay, how many of you wait until a quarter of a tank? Okay, how many of you wait until the light is on? Wait, 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 put your hands back down. I'm not even there. You don't even get gas that fast. So you wait until the light is on, and then you know how many miles you can go after that, plus two. I've seen all of y'all on the side of the road. Well, that's one way to live with your, with your fuel. But spiritually speaking, some of us, we wait until we're dead on the side of the road before we say, God, give me a chance. So, so I thought what we would do is we would look directly at the word and see if there's a way for us to make a move, like a move when we grow. I, I wrote this book, Be Real, because fake is exhausting, because I am convinced that this is a big problem for people. There's some... They haven't had an authentic moment with God in years. Some, they've given up on their relationship with the Lord and they're just running away. And then some, they stay in the game, but they're faking it. Not one real moment with the Lord. No one to talk to about their problems. No one to pray with them. So let's see if we can figure out what to do next. Hebrews 10, 19. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence. Everybody say confidence. Well, I want you to say it with confidence. When is the last time, now please, don't answer this out loud, but when is the last time you had confidence in your relationship with God, like, I'm his boy, or his girl, I'm, 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 I'm after him, he, he's close to me. Let's, let's see what we can do here. Confidence in what, though? To enter the most holy place? Not, not a decent place? Not even a holy place. The most, the what? The most holy place? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw, here's the move right here. Let us draw near to God. Okay, yeah, that's where I want to be, but how do I do it? You draw near to God. But how? how? What's my move? Draw near to God with a sincere heart. That's how. In full assurance of faith. And having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, that's a major problem. We'll probably talk about that. Having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to the other campuses. Let, let's see if we can learn anything. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be punchy. There's going to be times where you're laughing. But what I really want you to get is the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Can I have an amen? amen. So number one, it's your move to have confidence in your approach to God. In your approach to God. How's that going for you? How, like, if everybody in this church prayed like you, what type of praying church would it be? Now, what I don't want to do is put anybody under condemnation, because in my opinion, that's the number one enemy and the biggest deterrent that all of you have. If I were to ask you, if I pulled you into my office, and I would love that, because I'm a pastor, and, and I, I would love to talk with you, but I already know the study, because I've done the data. If I were to say, hey, God loves you, you may even say, I believe that's true. But if I really got to know you, this is what you would say. He loves me, yes, but there's one or two things that I've done in my life, and I don't know if he can forgive me for those things. And let me just say, when you say that, it's, it's almost like you're saying it this way. God, I thank you for what you did on the cross. I thank you for the payment, but it wasn't quite enough. I, I appreciate all you've done, but... But I, I, these one or two things, it's, it's sort of like the way my wife drives a car. If you ever get in a car that she's drove, you can see your feet sometimes in the rear view mirror. It was like, well, babe, you ought to use the mirrors. Why don't you use them? I don't need the mirror. So well, you ought to use them. They paid for it to go with the car. She goes, I don't need them. I'm not driving that way. I'm driving that way. That's a terrible driving strategy. But it's a great kingdom strategy. And some of you, you have more vision behind you than you do in front of you. That's why the Lord said, lift up your eyes and see. When's the last time you had confidence in what the Lord wants to do? Typically, you just remember what's happened behind you. In Romans chapter eight, it says this, verse one. Paul said, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Okay, let me say something that sounds like heresy initially. There's a lot of condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So is the Bible wrong? No, the Bible's right. It's just illegally attached to you, and you're living there. Okay, here's how it works. You're going through life, and like yesterday, say yesterday at three o'clock, you lost your temper with your spouse or a kid, or it could happen, <laughs> and you lose your temper, and then all of a sudden, the enemy shows up, condemnation, and says, see how you are? See what you do? You say you love God. You can't even keep your tip. Look how you're, and even a while ago, we were singing some songs, and you remembered, oh, I can't sing. I lost my temper. Condemnation is from the adversary, and it shows up to leave you there to die, and it doesn't tell you about the forgiveness of God. The Holy Spirit convicts, doesn't condemn. 
The enemy condemns. The Holy Spirit, he convicts. And he never shows up to leave you there to die. He always shows up on the same scene condemnation comes through. Like yesterday when you lost your temper, condemnation says, see, you're not right with God. Conviction says, you see how you're doing this? You're not gonna stay this way. If you follow after me, we're gonna make this a strong point in your life. And you need to write a letter. You need to make phone calls. You're gonna have to change. We've got some work to do. Come on, let's go to the Father. I don't know how it's going for you, but let me just tell you, because of the way that I grew up, I never once thought that God wanted me around. And it all changed for me when I started studying the heroes of the faith. These people who are doing big things for God, they all made major mistakes. Let's have a blast and go through a few of them. Jonah, he ran in the exact opposite direction from God. What about Noah? He was the father of all drunks. What about Abraham? He was 100 years old. The Bible says that his wife, her womb was dead. She was 100. And the Lord showed up and said, it's time, go to babies or us. That's nasty. Just saying. Isaac, he was a daydreamer. Jacob, he was a liar. Gideon, he was afraid. Moses was a murderer. He was the one who brought down the Ten Commandments. Don't you think he read them? Yes. One of them said, thou shalt not murder. He killed an Egyptian with a knife. But he still carried him down. When he saw it, he had to go like, oh, man. But he carried him down. If it had been me, I'd have carried him down. I said, and here we have the nine commandments. <laughs> Rahab, she was a prostitute. Samson, he liked prostitutes. David, he was an adult. This is the man after God's own heart, David. He was an adulterer and covered it with murder. Elijah, suicidal. Isaiah, that dude, he preached naked for three years. That is also nasty. What? John the Baptist, eight bugs, probably my cousin. Jeremiah, he was way too emotional. This dude was crying all the time. Probably took bubble baths listening to Michael Buble while he's on Pinterest. I know it. That's, that's what this guy was all about. Peter denied even knowing Christ. Zacchaeus too small. Paul too religious. Thomas too negative. Timothy probably had stomach ulcers. Lazarus, he was dead for three days and God used him. What is your excuse? All right, let me, let me zero in. Let me give you some revelation you may have never thought about. Okay, Jesus is doing good. Three years of ministry. He has, he has these followers, 12 of them. Judas is one of them. Peter is another. At the end, when they could have showed up big time and helped out Christ, one betrayed and one denied. What they did wasn't much different. So Jesus dies because of it. Peter couldn't even look at a 12-year-old girl and say, yeah, I know him. Just the intensity of blowing that. So Peter did what a lot of us would do. He gave up. Judas did what a lot of us would do. He gave up. Peter went back to fishing. Judas committed suicide. Okay, Jesus raises from the dead. Think about this for a second. He grabs these disciples, I mean, these ladies, actually, and he said, hey, ladies, I'm alive. And they go, whoa, whoa. He said, I want to talk to the disciples. Go get the disciples. Very interesting what he said after that. He said, go get the disciples and get Peter. 
Why did he have to say, get Peter? Because Peter, if he would have heard the call was disciples come back, he would have thought, I'm not one now, I blew it. So he named the name. Here's what I'm convinced of. If Judas would have not committed suicide, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he would have said, hey, ladies, I'm alive. Go get the disciples. Get my boy Peter and get my boy Judas. I don't know where you are or what's going on, what's keeping you away from God, but he doesn't want you out. He wants you in. And until you have confidence that the Lord wants you around, have you ever thought about this? I've thought about it many times. Lord, why don't you speak louder? It's so hard to hear. I've been in ministry for 27 years, and it's so hard for me to hear God's voice. Oh, it would save me so much time if he would speak louder. I've had this argument. One time in my backyard, I was like, God, crank up the decibels, please. I can't hear from him, and it's tough. I have a lot of vision, but what part is God? I have a wife, I want to love her, but how? I'm raising my kids, but what's going on? I have his church. Hearing God's voice. Well, in my family, and the Lord showed me the reason why he talks in such a still small voice. That's what the Bible says. And it also says that he talks in a whisper. And man, when I realized why, it helped me a lot. Because in my family, we're loud. We're all loud. Cajun people, we eat loud. Everything is loud. We just are loud people. But I got one child. She's a whisperer. So we'll all be, <laughs> and we'll hear, it's like a mosquito. It's like, what's going on? Oh, yeah, Grace. And we walk over to Grace. What, what do you want? I just wanted to say, hey. It's like, okay, God bless you. And we're loud again. Here's what I noticed. The reason why God speaks in a whisper is because you have to be in close proximity to hear a whisper. And that's precisely where he wants you. You'll never be in close proximity if you think he hates you and doesn't want you around. That's a major struggle for a lot of people. All right? This woman who was caught in adultery. Some of you are in adultery right now. This woman was caught in adultery. Let's just take a look and see what happens. Uh, she was caught by people like my Sunday school teacher. And they, they grabbed her and they threw her at the feet of Jesus. She was completely naked. Right at the feet of Jesus. They said, we gotta kill her. That's what the word says. And that is the word without Christ. So Jesus said, you're right. That's what it says. We gotta kill her. We gotta stone her. That's what the word says. He said, but let's do it this way. Let's let the one who has no sin, throw the rock. The first one. Then he takes his finger and he wrote in the dirt. While he's writing in it, Billy Graham said it's the only sermon Jesus ever wrote. And as he's writing, they're looking at it, and one by one they drop their rocks and they walked away. I don't know what he wrote, but wouldn't it be cool to know what he said? <laughs> then this lady's having a bad day. All of a sudden it's turned into an incredible moment because of Jesus. Jesus looks at her and he says, talking about confidence, he looks at her and he says, woman, where are those that condemn you now? She looked around, she goes, they're all gone. He said, well, then neither do I condemn you. But wait, here's the key part. He said, now you go and you sin no more. Okay, this is what you gotta know. There's no chance that woman 
went right back into adultery. No chance. Why? Because there is no relationship sweeter than being forgiven by God. If Jesus would have looked at her and said, I'll just save you like your trash, you think, you loser, you lucky. Now get up, clean yourself off, get out of here, and sin no more. She would have went right back into a lifestyle of sin. And some of you, that's what it's like. God is just saying, sin no more, you trashy thing. You'll never have confidence to make a move towards the Spirit of God until you know he is amazing at forgiving people. It was not the nails that held him to the cross. It was his desire to forgive. And he's good at it. Can somebody say amen? Number two, it's your move to dream dreams Again, it's your move. Let's fix this. It's your move to dream dreams again. Raise, raise your hand if you've ever dreamt a dream. Come on, anything. Here, here's what I've noticed. A lot of times in, in, our, in our lives, you can tell when somebody's dreaming a dream, and you can tell when they stop dreaming. It's hard to be in marriage to someone who used to have a dream and they put their dream down. It's very discouraging. Uh, Joseph, the Bible says, when he was far away, he saw his brother. The, the, the brother saw Joseph, and they said, look, the dreamer is coming. You can tell from far away and up close who's dreaming and who's not. But, but have you ever thought about this? Here's something very interesting. We're, we're all going to die. You can Google it when you get home. The stats are it's very clear. <laughs> Raise your hand if you, if you believe that, okay? If all you do, if some of you are health nuts, and all you eat is like, What? Now, the only difference between you, you're still going to die. only difference between you and I is I'm, I'm going to die with Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> so when we get to heaven and we see the enormity of his name, the power of his name, have you ever thought about this? There'll be no faith in heaven. Zero. Because faith is believing things that are not seen. We'll see it all there. And we're going to be in the power of his name. Raise your hand if you want to go to heaven someday. What? But an interesting verse, it's hard to understand. It says that he's going to wipe away our tears. Okay, that sounds cool, but think about it a little deeper. If he's going to wipe away our tears, then that must mean there's a tear to wipe. And if there's a tear to wipe, where does it come from? Well, I don't know the answer for sure. I've studied this out, and I still don't know, but here's my Here's my guess. Maybe it'll just be one tear and it'll be initially. Maybe it'll be when we see how big he is, how powerful he is. Maybe when we see that the enormity of God, perhaps we'll look back to right now and think, when I was on earth, why didn't I go for it more? Why didn't I dream bigger? Why was I always hesitating? When the church was trying to do something, why was I the one hesitating? I didn't give, I didn't tithe, I didn't have faith, I had ideas, I was afraid, I didn't serve. Look, the church is the bride of Christ. Don't you think he loves his bride? If you come to my house and you say, Rick, I love you, but I hate your bride, I'm going to taser your face off. <laughs> and he's saying, hey, come on, so many people hesitate, and they do not dream dreams for God. There's this one guy in the Bible, his name is Blind Bartimaeus, and he heard Jesus was coming, so he started yelling, son of David, have mercy on me, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus stopped and went over to him. His name is Blind Bartimaeus. Very interesting. Here's another strange verse. Jesus, who's God, goes over to Blind Bartimaeus and says, hey, what do you want me to do for you? Well, you know, everybody had to be thinking. Jesus doesn't know he's blind. Everybody knows he's blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus doesn't even know. Oh, no, he knew. Well, then why did he ask? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. The reason why he asked is because the Lord loves to hear what you're dreaming about. When is the last time you articulated your dream? This guy, blind Bartimaeus, was saying, Son of David, have mercy. And everybody was saying, Be quiet, bro. Shut up. We don't want to hear you. And he yelled all the more. It's like your Pastor Brad. If I were to get with Pastor Brad and say, Look, I don't really want to hear about your dream anymore. Just settle down, bro. He's going to yell all the more because he's loaded with a dream. What about you? Dream, dreams for God. Number three, it's your move to have confidence in your approach to other people. I just want to speak for a minute on this one. This is not the one I came to speak on. But, but let me just say, way too many of you have way too much fear. And it's been going on way too long. And in fact, I've seen people, young people, choose a major in college that they hate because the one they're called to do is too scary for them. I've seen people with ideas from God, a business idea, some strategy, never started because they were afraid it wouldn't work. I've seen relationships break down and crumble in front of my eyes. One phone call could help it. They won't make the call because what if they get rejected? People in our church, young men who love God, won't even hardly talk to a young lady who loves God because what if they get rejected? All relationships are now in texting. They go out in texting. They break up in texting. It's like, bro, you, you can't break up with her. You never even talk to her. <laughs> they come, one guy came to me. He said, all right, Rick, you're right. I love God. I know a girl loves God. I just want he has his accent. You know, he talks in banjo. Now, now, now. Hey, hey, now. How you doing? And now, 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 now. So I, I said, I said, so what's, what's going on? He said, uh, he said, I just got this girl I want to talk to. What do I say to her? I said, man, I don't know. Just say something. I said, we got scones in the foyer. Just ask her if she wants a scone. He said, that's a good idea. He went over to her. You want a scone? <laughs> I was just kidding. And she said, I like scones. So they ate a scone. Next week, he asked her again, you want another scone? She said, yeah, I like another scone. And so they ate another. For months, they were gaining relationship and gaining weight. Eating. But in June of last year, they got married. Come on, get you some of that. Hold on. I told them they need to either name their first child Rick or Scone, one or the other. But my point is this, and this is the most Twitterable thing I'll say. It's not even a word, Twitter word. <laughs> what you're most afraid of is often where you're most anointed. A lot of times what you're gifted to do, the unforgettable things that God could do in your life, you don't even attempt them because you're so afraid of it. Next point, and this is the one I came to speak about. This will be the most important thing I talk about. It's your mood to be sincere in your approach to God. 
All right, being real. Let me, let me just tell you, the reason why a lot of people are not real is because they, they don't have anybody to pray with. They don't have anybody to check on them. The, the best story I can give you of this, but it's my story, is when I was in Bible school, this is what they taught us. They don't do this at all Bible schools now, but in a lot of them they still do. And they teach you, you're going to be in the ministry, you're going to have to be lonely. You, you can't be close to people. You'll have no friends. They taught us 27 years ago that you have to sit in a chair on the stage away from everyone else. Touch not the anointing. Ministry is painful and it's lonely. Go live there, stay there. And it's like, what? I was like, I'm not going to have any friends. I'm going to hate this. I raised my hand. Can I have friends? No, you can have no friends. So I just believe that they were probably right. So I graduated from Bible school, and in the month I graduated, I got married, and then it went into full-time ministry all in the same month. Graduated, got married, full-time ministry. The first year of marriage that I had was horrible. We were fighting all the time. Do you know that verse that don't go to bed with anger in your heart? We were staying up for like 10, 12 days at a time. So we were always arguing, and one day, and this is just my story, one, one day, my wife and I were arguing, it was the day that my pastor said, I want you to speak at the church, the big church. Well, I'd only spoken to maybe 300 people in my life, and I was always afraid to speak. It was a big intimidation for me to speak to crowds of people. This church had 10,000 people, 6,000 seat auditorium. And he said, I want you to speak. I didn't know how to do that. And then my wife and I, we were arguing all the time. But no one knew our marriage was terrible. We'd go to events and everything, and they'd say, man, Rick, I wish we had a marriage like you. And I'd put my arm around my wife thinking, I am good at faking this thing. So now I'm about to speak to this church. And my wife and I were having an argument. I specifically remember this argument. And she said something that just ticked me off. I don't have a bad temper, but I have a lot of pride. It's hard for me to admit when I'm wrong. So she said something that made me mad, and I just I snapped at her. I said, Michelle, shut up. I'm sick of you. Just shut up. You're ridiculous. I, I regret even marrying you. I'm, I'm a man of God. I got to go prepare a sermon. I just can't believe what you're asking. <laughs> it's so embarrassing to talk about, okay, but it's happened. Except I yelled at her when I said shut up. So she broke. So then I went into my office and, and I'm just trying to get this sermon together. And I could hear my wife, I still can hear it, her crying in that other room. But it's hard for me to admit when I'm wrong. I don't know why. I hate that about me, but it is true. So I walk in there and I see her crying and I'll never forget her bottom lip, the way it was quivering. It was, man. So I looked at her, I said, I said, Michelle, I'm sorry, baby. She looked up at me and she said, who are you? Are you real when you yell at me? Are you being real when you preach? Are you real when we, when we were dating? Is that who you really are? Like when you said you love me and we said our vows, is that who you are? 
Or are you being real when you yell at me in the living room? I just need to know what I'm living with the rest of my life. Who are you? And I said, hey, I'm so sorry. I don't know. Sure, and I'm patting her, but it was awkward. I was like patting her. And then I said, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And then we prayed. It was powerful. So we made up. And then we made out. First year of marriage. Come on. And then, <laughs> then we made out one more time. And then I went in my office. Okay. This is my story. And this is where it gets a little awkward and weird. I'm not recommending this for anybody. But you can, you can bring this home somehow. When I got back into my office, I sensed the Lord... Forgive me. And I could tell Michelle did, but this is what I, the Lord showed me clearly. And I have trouble hearing from him, but I know he asked me to do this. He said, I forgive you and so does your wife, but I want you to tell the whole church the way you yelled at your wife in the living room. When you speak this weekend, that sermon, that's what I want it to be about. And I was like, God, I can't do that. I'm a man of God. I can't. They, they taught us in Bible school. You, you never do that. Ministry's lonely. You always act like you have it together. That's what they taught us, God. They said, you, you just always, you're the man of God. You just battle it out in prayer. God, you need to go to Bible school. They'll clear that up <laughs> quickly. So I decided not to do it because I thought it was a bad idea. So I was preaching my sermon and I was going through the text and and it wasn't going well. And I finally said to everyone, I said, hey, this sermon's not really going that well, is it? And they all yelled out, unfortunately, simultaneously, no, it's not. So I closed my Bible and closed my notes, and I told them the story I just told you. Except the difference is, it was 27 years ago when I tell you. For them, it was a day before. And I looked down at my wife, and she's shocked. And I said, babe, will you forgive me? I'm going to figure this out. I love you. And she, in that moment, I thought it was over for me in ministry. But in that same moment, I felt God put his arms around me and say, this is my boy. Give me something to work with. Thank you, my son. So we didn't get that much better after that, but <laughs> but that first year, okay, here's, here's, the, here's what changed my life. There was this girl we were counseling, and she was very depressed, and my wife and I were trying our best to help her. And one day, she was talking, and I was just in a bad mood or something, because I, I hate this story. This is not funny. Because I, she, she was sharing her heart. Major depression. I've never been depressed, but I understand it now, because I've read about it. And she goes, I'm just so heavy. I said, listen, Elise, I don't know how depressed you are. I think you come over here just to hang out with my wife and I is what I think you're doing. And she said, you don't believe I'm depressed? I said, well, I don't know for sure. She jumped up, ran out of the house, got in her car, drove home, wrote a note, found her dad's pistol, and she blew her brains out. That was my first year of ministry, and I completely died on the inside. Here's the problem that you can relate to. 
No one in the world knew that I was completely dead because I knew when to walk into a room, how to high five people, when to tell a joke, when to be myself, when to do whatever. What's up, what's up? And it hit me. I have the ability to fake my relationship with the Lord and it's not a gift from heaven. And I just want to suggest to you you might have it too. Stop living life on an island. The Bible says you confess your sins to God, he'll forgive you. I love that. But it also says if you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed. We have a lot of forgiven people by God, but a lot of sick people because they're on an island and no one knows how they're doing. Uh, One of our worship leaders won American Idol a few years ago. His name is Chris Allen. And it was a blast to watch him win. It was like, wow, it's awesome, man. But what I still like the most is the terrible people who think they're great. And they're trying out for American Idol and they ask him before you hear them sing, can you sing? Shoot, better than anyone who's ever lived on the planet. And then you hear them. You're always thinking, don't they have any friends? Don't they have a mama? Yeah, they have a friend and they have a mama. But they don't let anybody tell them what's going on. Some of the weirdest people I've ever met in my life are all alone. Stop living that way. Can I have an amen? The last point. Encourage one another. That's basically it. It's your move to encourage one another. Look, the hand of God is on this church. The early church, the Bible says, they met together with glad and sincere hearts. Every day they were around one another and they grew in their relationship. Of course they were growing. This church has been growing for a long time. It's going to continue to grow. But Brad never set up the vision of this church nor the staff for it to grow without you growing. They never set it up for 50% of the people to be involved in the vision. It was always for everyone. Don't just come and enjoy. Come and be involved. Why? Because God is looking for people that will help him encourage others. I remember when I moved to Arkansas, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. It's the Bible Belt there. It's very discouraging for me because the people there that live there, they, they never won anyone to the Lord. Hardly ever. The average congregant that goes to church, they bring someone to church with them every two years. And then a growing church, it's about every six months. And a fast-growing church, it's about every 60 days. In our church now, that's about what it is. It's actually every 45 days. But when I first moved there, they would never bring anyone. So I told them this story, and the light bulb came on, and I want to try to give it to you before I leave. The reason why this church is growing, because this church values souls. And we can make it very difficult for anyone in the Detroit area here, we can make it difficult for them to go to hell if everybody does their part to value a soul. My daughter, and this is how the story goes, my daughter is strong-willed. Raise your hand if you're strong-willed. Okay, the real strong-willed people won't raise their hand because they don't want to. (laughs) My daughter would not raise her hand. So how many are raising a kid that's strong-willed? Praise the name of the Father. I remember trying to raise Haley. Oh, my gosh. 
When, when she was four years old, she saw a Hallmark movie of a 13-year-old girl who ran away from home. And she thought, that looks so fun. I want to do that. But I don't want to wait till I'm 13. I'd like to do it today. But I can't do it during the daytime because my mom and dad are always holding my hand. So I'm going to have to do it at night when they're sleeping. So she calculated this story. She, 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 she packed her wagon. She put her dolls in there, Skittles. She goes, I love people. I don't want to go alone. Who can I bring with me? My brother. He's two years old. That'll be good. So she packed his diapers, put them in there, talked him into it. She said, I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm going to come get you. She didn't know how to set an alarm clock. It was her strong will that woke her up. Just all of a sudden, poof, it's time. <laughs> she, so she goes in there, tries to wake him up, and she can't get him up. And he, he said, I'm too sleepy. Go without me. She said, loser, and left him there. She got the wagon. We're sleeping. We didn't even know what was going on. She grabbed the wagon. She left the cul-de-sac. This is in Zachary, Louisiana. Went to the end of our street, took a right, another right, a left, out to a four-lane highway, busy road. We're sleeping. My daughter's pulling her wagon in her nightgown. She's got her dolls and Skittles and my son's diapers. She's going down the road, and a lady saw her and pulled over and said, young lady, what are you doing? She said, I'm just running away from home, and this is so much fun. <laughs> she said, get in the car. I'm going to take you home. Oh, no, ma'am. I'm not allowed to ride in a car with strangers. But you can walk down this road at night. Your family is whacked. <laughs> so my daughter decides to come home. So she's just walking home. My, this lady's in the car behind. Found out later my, my daughter was playing with her dolls, eating Skittles and throwing out my son's diapers. And she kept getting closer and closer to home. And in the middle of the night, Shell, did, you hear, did you hear that, baby? No, I didn't hear anything. Michelle, somebody's at the door. Go see who it is. <laughs> that didn't happen. So I went down. Michelle came with me. And I opened the door, and there was this lady who I didn't know, and my daughter, who was upstairs sleeping, standing there. And I'm trying to figure this out. I said, what happened? And they told me the whole deal. And I went and thanked the lady. I said, oh, thank you, Started giving her stuff, like my house. <laughs> and then she left. I don't know her name. I don't know where she went to. And I walked in the house of my daughter, and we just stared at her. Okay, that's the end of the story. But here's what we can learn. If Haley wouldn't have come home that night, I would have stayed looking for her the whole next day, right? And the day after that. And the day after that, she was four then. She's now 22. I would still be living in that same cul-de-sac in Zachary, Louisiana. Every time there would be a knock at the door, I would run to the door so fast, maybe no one could beat me to the door. And I would look, is it Haley? Every time the phone would ring, Haley! And I would pick my friends based on who was helping me find Haley. And thus you have a church. There's a lot of lost little boys, girls, moms, dads, papas, and mamas. The church's responsibility is to get them back. So let's get them back. It's the value of a soul. Amen?
Let's bow our heads. No one looking around. Let's be respectful in the presence of God. Lord, I do thank you for your presence that is here. Thank you for the way that you love us. But I know there's some people that are in this room, Lord, they, some have never met you authentically. And Lord, the world we live in right now, the way it's shifting, and we need you. Lord, if there's anyone that is not right with you, let them make a decision for you now. And there's some that are in this room, you have made a decision for Christ. You used to walk with him and you knew him by name. But you've wandered away from your faith. You may love him more now than ever, but you're not serving him and walking with him. And you miss him. And you'd love to rededicate your life to him. Again, let me remind you how much he wants you home. The prodigal son's father was standing out front when he saw the son. He ran out to him to hold him to bring him back home. So if that's you, just make a decision for the Lord right now. Lord, I thank you for those that are making decisions for you. Lord, I ask that you forgive us of our sin. We repent and we turn and we face you. Thank you for the cross, the power of your name. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the church. Thank you for this church. Lord, we're ready to grow. We wanna make a move. We want to be real. Please, God, no more, no more time away from you. We're coming home. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. There's a, in the guide that you were handed when you came in, at the end of it, you'll see a place where you can tear off a portion of it. If you need a prayer request or have a prayer request, or if you just made a decision for the Lord, fill that out. You can hand it to someone as you leave. But many of you, you need prayer right now. This is a praying church. It's not the kind of church where if you're going through something difficult, they say, whatever, just get over it. No, they like to pray with people. There'll be a lot of people lined up up here. If you have a prayer request before you get in your car, come on up and let somebody pray for you. God bless you. Thanks for letting me come to your church. Awesome time. God bless you.